podcast brought to you by Tennessee School of Beauty. Today we are here in New York City with Nick Orojo at one of his Soho locations. So thank you so much for having us today, Nick. Thank you so much for coming to see us. <laughs> Love it. So I want to start from the beginning. So we're mm. going to rewind a little bit. So there's a lot that rewind. has happened <laughs> from where you started to now. So yeah. I want to hear about your beauty school experience. Where did you go to beauty school and what were you doing in your life that made you decide, I want to go to beauty school? That's a great question because I didn't go to beauty school. You didn't? No, I did not because in England you do not need to get a license. It is not a licensed craft. If you go to or a licensed profession, if you go to a um, salon, you get a, a training program and they teach you. So you do what's more classically named an apprenticeship program. Yeah. Yeah, so growing up and becoming a hairdresser in England, there was no beauty school. You can go to college and study hairdressing and get a certificate, but that certificate doesn't really mean anything. So you don't need the certificate to become a hairdresser. So it's a very different type of process when you're talking about becoming a hairdresser in the UK. Okay. When I came to America, I'd been hairdressing for uh, about 12 years and actually maybe more than 12 years, 83 to 94, no, about 12 years, yeah, about 12 years, 82, about 12 years, that's right. My memory's pretty good. <laughs> and I'm bad at math, so uh, I would have trusted whatever you told me. <laughs> so when I came here, what happens is, is if you uh, can prove that you've worked as a hairdresser for five years and you have, uh, you know, the paperwork to support that and obviously you have your pay stubs, then you can actually get a license and that license then, I became licensed in America so that I could work as a hairdresser here. Okay. So that's my journey. Yeah. So I want to ask you then, you didn't go to beauty school. Nope. But opened up beauty schools. Yep. So do Good you question. feel that that is important? Do you feel, I mean, you obviously feel there's a sense of need for the education and the training in a school. So. That's a great question. Education's always been paramount. I mean, I built my brand based on the fact that we're an education culture company. So the whole thing about my business is education. Uh, everything about my career has been education. When I worked at Vidal Sassoon, we had to do three, we had to do two classes a week where we had to do two models a week. I actually did three. So I always really committed myself to trying to strengthen or get better because I wasn't naturally talented. Um, <clears throat> and then what happened was along my journey, you know, I opened up, uh, when I came to America, I worked in one salon and then I opened up a partnership business and the partnership business was very success. The partnership business was successful, but the partnership was not something that I wanted to, um, to be a part of. So I ended up being on the outside of that and I left my partnership business and I was working at being a, uh, my salon was an Aveda concept salon. Okay. And I know that when we met with Horst, we knew the philosophy behind the educational process with Horst and with beauty schools as he created a lot of beauty schools. So what happened was I needed a place to work and I was in a pretty tough partnership business with a pretty bad contract. 
So I had to move out of Midtown. And I moved out of Midtown and went downtown because it was the only place I could go because really the big mecca for hair salons in New York is on the Upper East Side. So it's like a 10 block radius where you probably find the most concentration of hair salons. So moving down to 30th Street didn't make any sense. And I came down here uh, into Soho and worked and, and Horst had kind of enabled me to have like a lifeline. And the lifeline was to where uh, they had like a very small training salon at the front of their, uh, next to their retail store. And behind that was their cosmetology school. So what happened was, is I incubated my business inside of Vader. And that's where I got to really experience what beauty school was all about. So wow. it is quite an interesting story. And um, for me, when I was working, because I didn't, I mean, basically, Arojo began as a couple of chair, couple of chairs in the front of this big Aveda facility. It didn't have Arojo on the door, it had Aveda on the door. And, um, and I was just incubating, renting a couple of chairs. And uh, that was back in September of 2001. So I read that about you and I was wondering before or after 9-11 and what that did for your business. I mean, I guess moving down here was probably good at the time or was it worse to be down here at the no. time of that? What was that like? Well, you know, have you been to New York a lot? A few times. A few times. <laughs> Okay, so New York is made up of many different areas. So if you think about Midtown, uh, Hell's Kitchen, Chelsea, Soho, Tribeca, West Village, if you think about all of the different areas, I would compare each area to a, a city in a state. So when you move 10 or 15 blocks, it's like going from one town to another. Mm -hmm. So it's a big change. Yeah. I know even though the demographical size is, uh, is, is short, but the actual move is like moving from one city to another. So when I had to leave my salon on 57th Street, I left and I came all the way down to Soho and worked inside of Ada. Uh, 57th Street is a lot further away from Ground Zero mm -hmm. than Spring yeah. Street. Right. So what happened was I opened up my first week. Um, we did 25 clients inside the Aveda Institute. We did 25 clients. And then um, I opened on September the 4th. September the 11th was obviously the day that it happened. I lived downtown. I did 25 clients in that first week. And, uh, and after that, the Aveda facility closed down, as did many facilities. So what happened was I was homeless, jobless. I had a team of, of four and uh, we didn't have anywhere to work and we were not allowed to work in Midtown. So it kind of impacted us a lot because I lived a block away from, uh, from Ground Zero. So that was a pretty tough time. Yeah. Eventually, about 10 days after September the 11th, so probably in like the 20th, 21st, 22nd, 23rd, Aveda reopened the city started to try to kickstart its beginning again. Mm -hmm. You know, after September the 11th, no one was allowed below 14th Street unless you lived there. Okay. And, no, and then they slowly opened it up and no cars were allowed below Canal Street until 20, uh, 2002. So it really shut down the lower Manhattan. Wow. 
So realistically, we were faced with uh, a very difficult, challenging time. And not only were we living in this um, kind of place that was been, that had been shattered by what happened, uh, you know, I was also homeless because I had nowhere to live because my home was down there. Wow. And this is after you were considered a success in the industry. I mean, it was kind of a, a start over for you. It was, a complete, a, it was a completely new beginning. Yeah. I walked away from my business. We negotiated a contract. I had $25,000, which is not a lot in this town. Yeah. You know? So when I moved downtown, I was super excited. I had one person that joined me. I wasn't allowed to take any of my team. Wow. One person joined me. And that person was a colorist. Um, we were out of business. I still paid them because it wasn't their fault and they were kind of my responsibility. Wow. And uh, my $25,000 went down to about $20,000 within the first three weeks. So it was kind of, um, it was pretty, pretty wild. Yeah. yeah, so what did that do for you? Is that when you said, okay, I, I want to do something different? I want to do... No. No, <laughs> you just no. kept going. No, no. What happened was we came, we, we kind of got back together um, a, a couple of weeks later and we sat there with our, with our, uh, with our book. We had a, we, the only thing that we had, we had a small, probably 200 square foot space inside the front of the Aveda school. We had a few chairs inside it. We had uh, two backwashes uh, and that was what we had. Yeah, the changing room was a closet, so we didn't have a changing room. Um, we didn't have a reception desk. There was no office. It was pretty much like renting a very small studio. Um, and we tried to get that studio back up and running. The challenge was, was that no clients wanted to come downtown. Yeah. Yeah, everybody wanted to stay away from uh, Ground Zero because it was still toxic. The actual Twin Towers didn't stop burning until December, so they were still smoldering for uh, about four months, so the air quality was awful. Um, and you know, in Midtown, my salon, my former salons were still called Erosia, so really? they still kept my name, they had my name for six months, so it was called Erosia Cutler. And, uh, you know, I kind of, we wow. kind of sat there in Starbucks, the one on the corner of Spring Street. We had our, the only thing we had was, a, was like a traditional appointment book, no computer. And um, the iPhone didn't exist, you know. Uh, the iPod hadn't even come out. So I think a lot of people don't realize these are new things that happened and business life happened before that, those technologies came about. <laughs> and, um, you know, we looked at the books and there was not one client on the book. And all we could see was where the clients were because we'd rubbed them out with a pencil, with a rubber. You know, they were all wow. pencil appointments. So the job, the first job was to, uh, to try and uh, get back and try and start building some, uh, some clients. Wow. And that's what we did. We got back into the, into the small studio. We started uh, trying to rebuild some clients. And, uh, and what happened was the staff room became this, was the student lounge. Right. So, you know, being a human being and having lived and experienced that super close and have it kind of go through a, you know, you go through like a divorce of a business, which is like going through a, it's like a very personal, difficult thing, going through the divorce of a business and being separated and then trying to start again and then having such a, 
you know, life-changing experience happen, it was quite emotionally draining and devastating. Yeah. And, you know, you can kind of feel a, either sorry for yourself or you can feel down on, on a multitude of different emotions. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but then what happened was I used to just hang out in the school and uh, the students used to make me feel good. It's yeah. great. There's yeah. an incredible energy in beauty school. Um, and it's, I don't know if it's just a fresh excitement of the industry. Um, I've talked to a bunch of people on the podcast that have just said that they, people that have been in the industry 40 plus years that say they really like to be around students because it just revitalizes them a bit. It gets them more excited. Um, yeah. And so I think it's really cool that you, you know, saw that light and could take it and turn it into what you've created now. Well, what happened was we used to, you know, you go into the back and you'd feel kind of like down and you'd be like, you know what, there's a young kid trying to learn how to comb. And then you'd say, let me show you how to comb. And before you knew it, showing someone how to, to make a section, which is something that obviously after doing this a long time, I know how to do, but they didn't know how to do it. It's not as easy making a clean line with a comb as you think. Teaching someone how to blow dry, teaching someone how to cut a line you know, and talking to them. So I found a great source of inspiration with these young, new people in our industry. And that was kind of like a good inspiration piece for me. But really, that wasn't what made me want to open up a school. What made me want to actually get into the school business was um, if I felt that if I was going to have um, an influence in education, then I felt like I had to be not just on an advanced level, mm -hmm. I had to be on a grassroots level. And, uh, and that's really where my interest started to, to peak and blossom. And I felt like if I was gonna be taken seriously with an educational uh, focus, then having a cosmetology school was, became a dream for me at that time. Uh, and with it being coming a dream, you manifest the idea and ultimately it, evolved and it happened so you know it's kind of an interesting process the way that it all worked out ultimately i managed to leave aveda and i managed to rent a very small space in the facility that you're in now and then um so it was here this it was, was the here. first yeah this the was the first spot yeah it was the first spot i'll show you a picture later it's a great picture of when we kind of found this space you know, downtown was decimated by September the 11th. Everybody went out of business. Restaurants went out of business. Stores went out of business. Nobody came downtown. The city revitalized downtown by doing a lot of incentives in the downtown rehabilitation. They did a lot of incentives for people to move back to downtown. So I have to commend, you know, the powers that be to, to, to kind of instigate a revival and a revitalization, which has continued quite amazingly since that time. But what happened was when I moved in over here, it was a place that no one would put a salon. There was no salon here. This was kind of a bit sketchy. So as you're speaking, like I love hearing this because I think that this is such a good way to get to know like really who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, it seems like you're a fighter. You were saying like, you know, there's this revitalization in this area but it needed to happen with people like you that said, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna stay here, I'm coming back. I mean, that's not what um, a lot of people would be able to do. It would have been really easy for you to be like, you know what, I'm gonna go back in the chair, I'm gonna make a ton of money being a stylist, that's what I'm gonna do, but instead, you chose definitely a harder route, um, but I think it, 
it had to be maybe a little bit of, I've got to do this. I know that I have to do this. I need to be here. So I'm going to make it happen. And that's incredible. I don't know. You know, for me, it was like, listen, I couldn't go back to Midtown. I wasn't allowed. Yeah. Like legally. Legally. (laughs) Legally not allowed to go. I wasn't allowed to go, you know, which is difficult now when you look at all the people that, you know, you sign no competes and they're very difficult to enforce, you know. But I didn't... um, I didn't go back to Midtown, I stayed downtown, I lived downtown. Uh, where I lived in my house, when I got back into my apartment building, I think the building was at 10% occupancy. There wow. was two, over 200 apartments. And I lived literally a block away from uh, ground zero. So I used to go home at night, I used to have to walk home because I wasn't. there was no transportation. It was kind of a scary place to go. I'd go home and... Uh, you know, I'd live in this apartment. I was the only person renting on my floor. It was quite spooky. Uh, they would still be bringing out the burning girders from the building. All the work construction was there. And, uh, you know, I kind of like, I did kind of have that energy of like, you know what? I'm not going to be intimidated by this process. So I just stayed true. And I eventually found a place that I could move into, uh, which was here. It had all the right things. It was the right cost. Uh, it had daylight because it has big windows and it's uh, on top of a subway station so it had everything that I kind of like the three things that I'd wanted and uh, and slowly but surely we started to build and then what happened was to kind of fast track this process we took another we took another space next to the we took the whole storefront then the building came to me and said there's a big space behind the um the salon that, that were, is going to be up for rent soon and they said would you would you be interested in it and I was like there's no way I can afford you know this I mean I'm a self-made you know hairdresser self-made person so it was like I don't have like loads of cash so basically um, when they said there's a 9,000 square feet behind your salon I said you know what let me start thinking about uh, how I could navigate and I decided to dream what would I do and then all of a sudden we started planning it out me and my friend just chatting and, um, and all of a sudden I just that light bulb came and said you know what we should do a school that would be the best place to do a school so you have a salon attached to a school you're in the same facility becomes like you know a good mecca for hair we can do advanced education, and that's kind of how it all, you know, parlayed out. Yeah. yeah. So you have friends in the industry, um, people that know that you're doing this. Was anyone like, you're crazy? Why would you open a school? Was anyone no, was everyone pretty supportive of No, because I don't have to. I don't have like 100 friends that I talk to. You know, it's not like I have 100 friends. You only need one or two people that you, can, that you need to communicate with. Yeah. At the time, one of my dear friends has now passed away, was Jerry Gordon, and Jerry was a very... Um, a very knowledgeable um, hairdresser, an iconic figure yeah. in Chicago, and he was best friends with Horst. So you know, I kind of had some good, good advice there. But I really yeah. felt like, um, you know, I used to watch the cosmetology school, and I used to watch the clients go into the school to get their hair done, and I used to say, those clients just look like my clients, and then yeah. I would see them getting their highlights done for seventy-five dollars. And I'd be like, wow, and this hairdresser's been doing hair for three, four months, and they're doing highlights at $75. Yeah. 
And I used to think, wow, that is a very interesting process. So for me, I just kind of kept this vision going that I thought, you know what? If I can get into cosmetology and start to influence my brand, it will help strengthen what Erosio actually is all about. Yeah, so let's talk about that. When somebody asks you about beauty school or somebody comes in interested in beauty school, what do you tell them about your school that's different? What can they expect as a student here? Um, I want to know about the school. <laughs> well, you know, as far as the school goes, it's not me that they meet. You know, we have admissions agents that they meet similar to every school out yeah. there. They have admissions agents and they have... Uh, you know, they meet the director and they meet the teachers and we do open houses. I mean, realistically, my when I do get to meet the students and I like to meet them, I always say, if I'm here, bring them by just to say hi. Yeah. Because I think that the power of the personal touch is pretty spectacular. Yeah. So what we're trying to create here is an elevated experience. We're obviously, the function of our school is to get everybody to become officially licensed according to the state so when a student comes my goal is to give them a great education so they can pass the state board my secondary vision is to give them a true honest elevated experience of what the hair business offers so the level of our educator is incredibly uh, high level so for example you know, I will teach my students. I have another gentleman who's the creative director. His name's Paul Merritt. He's a very seasoned, amazing hairdresser. He does shoots with Ralph Lauren and Calvin Klein. So he's out there in the fashion industry and he's a big piece of it. So we really try to create an elevated experience. And later on today, when it comes to graduation, you know, we actually celebrate and we get to talk to all the parents. So the parents will really get to experience me at the end of the program and the students will experience me during the program. But when somebody comes in for the first time, the whole concept is to try to get them to understand that we're taking this incredibly seriously. And it's not about money. It's purely about trying to uh, develop and evolve our industry so it can be stronger and better. And the great byproduct is we're putting out hundreds of great hairdressers into this city and into this country. And I know that we have, um, it's very rewarding for me to, to see, you know, four or five students in one salon really help to bolster that salon's success. Yeah. So that's exciting. It's really great to follow up with them to see what they're doing. I think that I've always said that in this job, it's, it's one of those jobs where you see it firsthand. You get yep. that reward or whatever like of seeing them grow of starting off so excited maybe hitting some bumps in the road where they hit that wall and they're like i'm done eating ramen noodles i want to get out of here i want to work i'm so excited to be in the salon and getting them into that success i always say watching them buy their first cars their first homes you know all of that is so exciting to me because you just get to watch that journey mm -hmm. um so one of the things i wanted to ask you too that you had mentioned earlier you have the salon inside the school mm -hmm. so what um, not just a student salon i mean it's a professional salon inside of the school um at our school it's only the student salon so what difference do you think that makes for the students you think it just just shows them hey this is where you can go this is where you can be is that kind of why you do that well it's not why i do it it just happened by chance 
and the salon's not in the school, it's attached to the school. Okay. There are distinct laws that you can't have a salon okay. and, a, and a for-profit school operate through the same door. Okay. So if you look at the dynamic of my businesses, you'll notice that there are separate entrances yes. that okay. are for the students and separate entrances for the salon guests. Okay. Yeah? The good thing is when somebody comes to tour, they actually get to see what a a New York City salon looks like. They get to experience the team, the staff, they get to see visually with their own eyes how well people, you know, are performing. And I would say that right now, 65% of my staff are, um, you know, they're employees. Mm -hmm. Yes, a former students, sorry. 65% former students and, um, and I tell all my students, if you do great in school, I'll give you a job yeah. because I'm a firm believer that there's not necessarily a quota. I think successful people create clients. Yeah. So it's not about whether you're, um, whether you're, you know, kind of got talent or not. If you're successful, you'll create clients. And for me, we just had four new students start this week in my salon. Wow. Now they don't all come to my salon because we take them on salon tours across the city. We try to foster all our relationships. You can see the jobs boards. Now we've started a barbering program. We're starting to put barbers out into New York, which is exciting too, an elevated barbering program. So we do really try to not just kind of, we don't try to feather our own bed first, but certainly because people are with us, um, you know, they do like the idea of potentially coming to work with us. Um, So yeah, it's a a lot of fun and uh, it's exciting to watch their growth. And if I've known a student for seven months, it's way better than me meeting someone in an interview that I don't know at all. Yeah, I have absolutely. a better record of whether they turn up, whether they follow through, yeah. whether they've got a good attendance, and whether there's been any drama in the class. So yeah. it's kind of like a, a nice seven-month kind of overview yeah. that if they do want a job, we know that they are who they say they are. Yeah, and for the student as well, for them to understand the culture and knowing what they're getting into. You had mentioned going on salon visits. Mm -hmm. It's one of the things that I think is so important no matter where you're going to cosmetology school. If your school doesn't do it, go do it because you have to know what you're getting into. It's We always say, you know, when you go in for an interview at a salon, you're interviewing the salon just as much as they're interviewing you because if it's not a good fit, it's not going to work out for either of you. Like both parties will be unhappy. So it's really important um, to know what you're getting into. So I think that that's a great opportunity for your students to just kind of understand how you are, what you expect and all of that too. So that's great. The school in Tribeca is also the same as the school here. We have a salon there. So, you know, I think it's a nice dynamic. It's like there's the front of house, which is the salon that you could potentially work in if you want. Yeah. And uh, here's the school. Yeah. And you can actually see, you know, kind of a living, breathing salon and you can get work experience after school. Yeah. So you can see whether you like it and we can get the chance to kind of really try to uh, create some elevation in our industry, which yeah. is what it needs. Great. So you have taught on stage in front of a lot of people and you've taught in small classrooms. What's your preference? Mm, I, I, to me, it doesn't really matter whether it's big or small. Okay. You know, I think it's... Uh, the, 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 the question is is whether you can have a successful moment or a, sex, a successful engagement. Yeah, that's the most important thing. So sometimes it might even be an awkward situation where somebody said, come and talk to my students. 
I was just in Illinois and I went out to the Capelli school mm-hmm. and uh, the guy uh, you know, asked me to if I could come as a school owner. It's a small boutique school out in the suburbs of Illinois. And, um, and uh, we drove out, I walked in, it was like a family affair and they had about four or five students there and they said, you know, and I was like, what do you want me to do? And I was like, okay, I'm just gonna make it a great experience for you. So, How lucky you know, for those four one, or five students yeah, so, to have that time with so you. So for an hour, I, uh, you know, taught them about my razoring technique and I yeah. give them a little bit of a lesson. and. You know, it's kind of, the idea is, it's not whether it's big or small, it's whether you can actually have a successful engagement. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. It's not about me. Yeah. You know, it's really about the people that are there. Yeah. So you have a brand. You've mm-hmm. got a lot going on. So a I've lot. been here for about 45 minutes and mm-hmm. I, I mean, just knowing what a beauty school requires, I don't know how you do it all. I'm sure you have an incredible team. Um, what challenges does this all bring of doing so much? Different school locations, the brand, your products, and just everything. How do you do it all? I don't know. <laughs> One day at a time. And I, you also have twins. Uh-huh. Is that correct? <laughs> so uh-huh. let's add that on to the craziness. You know what? It's a very full life. It's a lot of work. It's like challenge after challenge after challenge. The challenges get bigger as your brand gets bigger. Yeah. You know, uh, you never know. You know what you wish for. And all of a sudden you get it and then you realize, my God, this is maybe a lot harder. I think that as you, you know as you kind of find yourself in a certain situation you know the world's changed since i started my salon business you know the mentality's changed the country's changed you can see all of the changes that have happened nationally um so everything's constantly changing and and as i've grown my business you know in in one of the toughest cities in the world to actually do business because of the sheer cost Mm-hmm. You know, that also poses a lot of challenges. Right now, you know, what's the challenge in the school? Well, you have a low unemployment. So when there's low unemployment, people are going to work. Mm-hmm. They're not going to education. Right. So your educational offerings might be less valuable because more people are, um, are working. So mm-hmm. there's less people looking for a career change. Yeah. That could be a factor in how well we do this year. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and we just have to constantly try to see how we can uh, we can grow on last year's statistical data. And it is a lot of work because I have to have three different caps. A cap to run the salons, mm-hmm. I have to have a cap to run the product company, and I have to have a cap to run the schools. Mm-hmm. Now in each of those brands, which all create the Erosio business, in each of those brands I have a distinct set of people that are uh, in charge of that process. Okay. So in the school side, you know, we have uh, Loretta, who's kind of our head of education, and, and then we have directors in each location, and then we have a teaching team. So there's like a chain of command um, but I'm very hands-on because I have to be. Yeah. yeah, which is great. I mean, I think sometimes it's good for you to, if that's your passion, if that's kind of your thing, it's good to have your your hands in it. Um, when Maybe I, if it was more successful, I could, <laughs> I could, I could take a day off. But it's, well, that'll I'm, come someday, I'm, right? I'm, I'm, we'll I'm, sleep when we're dead. I've been seeing that for years, but it's not happened yeah. yet. So um, you, I, I read, um, I feel like I stalk my guests, it's yeah, really weird, but okay. um, you um, have sons, so you have yeah. two boys, yeah. is that correct? So twins yeah. that twin are... Twin boys, they're nine years of age. Okay, so I like to talk to people who have children that are in this industry. Yeah. Um, 
are you gonna hope that this that this is for them? Are you doing this for them, or are you really just one of those parents that really wants them to be their own, be their own person? You know, I'm not gonna live through my kids. That's not who I'm gonna be. I think at this stage of the game, you know, I'm fighting to survive. You know, a lot of people think, oh God, look at that, it's great, it's magic. Nobody knows the inner workings of how hard you have to fight. Yeah, yeah fight to survive. You know, so I'm fighting to survive. And, uh, you know, my job as a parent is to try to uh, make sure that I can look after my children, provide for them and give them a safe environment so that they can grow up and choose to be who they want to be. If they choose to end up being hairdressers, fantastic. If they don't, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, I'm not necessarily trying to build this to be a legacy business. I'm not thinking that far ahead right now. I think in the good old days, you used to think I'm going to point, aim, shoot, and that's going to be it. Today, I think you have to have shorter, shorter long-term goals as opposed to longer long-term goals because you never know what's going to happen in this world. I mean, you lived that. Yeah. I mean, you live that you can't plan. So I'm sure that you, your whole life is probably different from that moment. Um, so I know a lot of people look up to you. There's a lot of people that were really excited that we were doing this podcast. Good. That's cute. I want to ask you, yeah. who do you look up to? Who's your, your mentor? Who do you go to for advice? Who motivates you? Oh, it's a great question. Uh, it's, a, it's a great question. Not really anybody that I look up to. I, you know, if you go down to my Tribeca school, you should. If you I can. think we're doing that next. Yeah, you're <laughs> going to walk down the... We have what we call Hero's Way. It's like a corridor that leads onto the cl- onto the clinic floor. Um, and that's that. there is eight photographs of my heroes. So they're iconic figures some are still alive some are not so that's kind of like inspirational people okay Uh, in reference to who do i talk to you know i do like to find some of the best and brightest minds in the business to converse with and you also have to find the people that want to converse with you right so my mentor or my best friend was a guy and i mentioned him earlier jerry garden Mm -hmm. and now uh we used to spend probably four to six hours on the telephone a week talking about business and talking about life and his wife would also sit on the call and now what's happened is that Karen Gordon who's the head of the Chicago Cosmetology Association she's the president now she has kind of filled in that gap so uh, Karen is you know we're of a similar age and she's forging ahead with things in our industry like the association, she also owns Jay Garden Design in Chicago. She is also a trichologist and she does, she's specializing in hair loss. So she's navigating her way forward. And, uh, you know, we have a great sort sense of uh, camaraderie. So we do have, you know, w- daily conversations about how we can navigate not just her challenges, my challenges. It's great to have a sounding board for someone that's got the time to listen and someone that's got the intelligence to be able to offer an opinion that you can kind of listen to without making a heavy judgment because sometimes you hear things that maybe you don't want to hear. Yeah, yeah which so is you, sometimes you have to You have, have to, to find someone that. That, can li- that can discuss things with you. So. Yeah, it's really important to find your person. Even if you're in beauty school, we call it beauty school besties at the school that I go through or that I work at. But um, you have to find that person that's going to motivate you when you want to skip school, when you want to sleep in. You know, get sleep to, in? Get to, <laughs> must be nice, right? I know. I don't want to sleep in <laughs> um, But you have to find your person. 
person that's going to keep you going and that will change throughout your career. Um, I'm sure sometimes, hopefully if you're lucky, it's that same person, but yeah, just finding the person that is, is keeping you going. Um, think is really special also having product company i have uh, probably about 500 salons that carry my product line and uh, we call it the arojo ambassador program so i have um, great relationships with you know many many salon owners across america so we have regular conversations and i would say that every night um, i would uh, finish work at eight o'clock and then spend the final hour of the day catching up and checking in. Because salon owners who uh, work closely with Orojo, you know, they become my friends and they are part of my family and part of my network. So I have a very diverse group of uh, salon owners that I can call on anytime to discuss my challenges. And they do the same thing too. They do the same thing too. So they will call, they have needs, they have wants, they have challenges. You know, when you sell a hair care products and you're a hairdresser yourself, and there's not too many brands that have that, um, you know, what happens is, is they look to you for advice and they look to you for that kind of sense of community. So not only do I have my dear friend Karen, but I have a lot of people in my phone that I speak to on a on a, on a daily basis or a weekly basis too so it's a it's a very very busy life yes well great one last question for you um one of the things we always ask on the podcast is what advice would you give to somebody that's either in beauty school currently or thinking about coming into the industry what can you tell them one of the biggest challenges that people think is they can become overnight sensations and while somebody can become an overnight sensation you know let's let's liken it to uh to music yeah so all of a sudden someone comes out of nowhere and has a number one record three years later nobody knows who that person is but that record will still be played at weddings right yeah (laughs) we'll still be doing the birdie song or whatever it may be or you know open you know whatever song it may be you'll have them at the wedding and you'll they'll never hear a record from that person again so you can have that overnight sensation for sure but don't plan on it because guess what if you're lucky enough for that to happen you're one in a million. The best piece of advice I can give is realize that this is not a job and it's not a race. The number one thing that you will get when you go to cosmetology school is you will get the ability to walk out and uh, get a license and then find a job. Now the trend in our industry is is independent uh, stylists working in suites. And that's the trend in our industry. The problem on the challenge with that is if you go straight from school to chair, your own little business sounds good, but you have very little concept, and very few people have a concept of what that truly, actually, really means. And it can be very deflating when you wake up and you've got no clients in your chair, your skill set's not good, or not good enough Mm -hmm. to compete with the competition. You don't have the money for marketing, you don't have this, you don't have that, you don't have the energy, you have no one to inspire you. Yeah, so while you may say, hey, you know, you can find a lot of educational insight online, yes, of course you can, but the reality is, is it's what you do every single day. So my advice to everybody is to really think about it in the longer term. Yeah, you straight out of school, you really need to find a place that can actually teach you more and more about the beauty industry, yeah? 
uh, depending on what your desire is. Even if you wanted to go into fashion, if you wanted to go into film, television, I would say get a good five years grounding in a salon. If you get a five year grounding in a good salon, yeah, so there's going to be question marks on what's a good salon. Right. Yeah. But if you can get a good grounding in a good salon, then five years later, then you can start to determine and establish what you truly want out of your industry. Me, when I started work, I just wanted to have a job that paid me money. Yeah. I wanted to listen to music all day and I wanted to make people look good and feel good. That's what the hair business is. That's what the salon business is. I learned my craft and I never wanted to have a salon until that moment came where I felt like I'd, for all the businesses that I'd worked for, I kind of had, uh, I don't say outgrown them, but I'd filled up my cup and it was time for the next, you know, uh, journey. Yeah. I still feel like uh, I'm in the right place at the right time and it may be tough, but this has been a journey. Your, your hairdressing job is not a job it's a career think about it think about it in the long term yeah and when you come out of school and you work in a salon it's like labor you become a great sweeper a great shampooer a great cleaner you take out the garbage you do all of the kind of traditional stuff and then you have to also hopefully get trained you need a good salon that's going to give you a training program so that they can teach you and you want to be around positive people not negative people it's dead easy for people to become you know negative in this industry so you want to stay around a positive vibe a positive energy and then what happens is you'll slowly learn you'll develop you'll evolve you'll grow hairdressing helps people grow because you communicate with people from all over uh, from all over the world if you're in a localized town, you're going to deal with people who are lawyers, housewives, uh, husbands, brothers, daughters, sisters, cousins, bankers, you name it, you'll deal with every type of personality and you'll learn how to evolve yourself as a, as a successful human being. And if you have a craft, you can take it where you want to go. So we have a great saying in Erosio, work, it's called work hard and dream big. So you dream big about your future and you work hard to get there. And that is what it is. It's not a get rich quick scheme. Hairdressing takes a little bit of time, but once you've got the skill, no one can take it away from you. It's one of the only jobs that you can do everywhere in the world. You can travel uh, and do hair everywhere. It's a skill that you don't need much to actually do it. You can go and stand on a beach and cut hair and make money so you can put food on the table which is the primary resource of what you need to live food and you can get a home over your head a you know roof over your head so hairdressing is a brilliant brilliant career if you really focus on it as a career and if you run out of school and think you're going to become a superstar super fast you know and a lot of people do do that uh, they are they think that then what i think happens is is um is ultimately they maybe not stay in the industry and that's why there is a lot of transition you know great saying that we had that i learned from somebody not a guy named tony robbins i heard it on the tv one day and this was way back 25 years ago when i was you know just came to america many people overestimate what they can achieve in a year and they underestimate what they can achieve in 10 and that to me kind of sums up where my journey is 
because in my first year, even working with Erosio, we made nothing. It was a lot of work. I just kept turning up, but it wasn't until year three that things started to click. And, uh, and I'm glad that I kept that in my front of my mind because when you overestimate what you can achieve, what happens is when it doesn't happen, you start to look for something else. Yeah. And I live in a world, and you're, it's your world too, same world, where you know it's very hard for people to stay focused on the, on the, on the goal. Yeah. yeah. One of my great people say, oh, you love hair, Nick, I say. Not necessarily. I don't dislove it, but it's not like I didn't grow up like, you know, stroking hair and hoping one day to be a hairdresser. Yeah. Not at all. What I needed was I needed to find my path in my life. And it just so happened that I wanted to have a creative job and the most creative job that I could get coming out of school with no real academic kind of credit was to become a hairdresser. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I fell into it and it was creative and it continues to be creative and, uh, and it's managed to fill up my cup 100%. Yeah. So it is tough, it's a lot of work, but you know what? If you dream big, you gotta work hard. And yeah. that's, the, that's my saying. Well, I love it. I'm gonna end with that because that was amazing. So thank you so much for allowing us to do this and um, we can't wait to hear more from you and see what happens with the school. So I'm actually gonna go do a tour of the school um, and I would get photos um, so that you all can see it too. So um, thank you so much. Thanks Bye. very much and best of luck to you. Hey guys, I just wanted to hop back on here real quick and give a quick thank you to Allison and Loretta and Nick at the Orojo Beauty School. We had such a great visit there. Um, They were so sweet and so amazing and I just really wanted to um, thank them for being so kind to us and showing us the school and it was so exciting to see a different beauty school um, and see something that's different than what I'm used to. So I'm so thankful for them giving us their time. And thank you so much for listening today. Thank you to our sponsor, Tennessee School of Beauty. You can visit them at www.tennesseeschoolofbeauty.com. You can follow them at TN School of Beauty on Instagram and Facebook. Don't forget to follow me at Beauty School Bobby. And visit our website, www.beautyschoolbobby.com, where you can listen to all of our episodes. So thanks for listening, guys. Until next time, bye. Thank you.